Welcome to the Mike on Watch podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman. I'm here with my friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. I'm here with the pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. And joining us today on a very special edition of the Mike and Much podcast is Ann T. Donahue. Hi. Who is probably more of a pop culture aficionado than our own Oh, resident. I'm not a pop culture So fan. at the back end of the show, we bring on Shane to talk about his uh, musings on pop culture. But It normally, was just an excuse to get me in the door to for B on the pod to call yeah. me a pop culture So fan. now we're going to fight to the death at the end of this episode. Yeah, but the no, thing is, no, you win. Trust me. Because I the thing is, Shane has probably, in the span of like the two years we've been doing the show, has actually like talked about like maybe two TV shows, one movie, and no, I talked about the Backstreet Boys movie. I talked about Blues the Warm. Yeah, but I mean, we've had and those are here. exactly the same. Those two films are exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> They're just exactly right. That's amazing. Just to frame who Anne is, if you don't know, uh, you are a columnist for MTV Flair. Uh, you've written for the Guardian and a me. Uh, you're a comedian. I mean, I guess I don't do stand up or anything though. I'm really? f- I'm funny on the internet and I'm I think I'm okay on podcasts, but I don't like <laughs> if you were to be like, do stand up, I don't have the discipline. You have to do you have to go out every night, you have to write. I don't have that in me. So do you call yourself a comedian. I other people have, but I don't. Mm. I did for I thought I did for a while when I was writing TV. I wrote TV for a little bit and then I was like, Oh no, this isn't for me either. There should be a term for like uh, internet, like Twitter comedian. Because like my favorite Twitter follower, follow is this guy Network who writes for, or used to write for Grantland and writes for The Ringer now. And he's so funny. Like nobody actually makes me laugh out loud more than Network does. But he, I wouldn't call him a comedian. What about like he, a humorist? See, that sounds so, but that sounds so pretentious. Like, imagine I sat down here and I'm like, please call me a humorist. Like, everyone <laughs> immediately would turn this podcast, they would print it out somehow and then set it ablaze because <laughs> what a terrible thing. I, I know I'm, I'm a funny person. I call myself a person and a writer. That's fair. Where'd you go to school? I went to Laurier briefly. Okay. And then I dropped out. <laughs> and then I went back part time, like last, because I was like, I'm going to finish my degree really slowly over the course of like a million years. And then I just dropped my last course like last week because I'm like, what am I doing? I'm writing a book and I work full time. Like, I can't write 1,400 repeats. So you're a dropout. I just out, like these guys. Actually. And I dropped out of college as well. This I, is so a common I, yeah. theme in this room. Yeah. Are you the him. only one? I'm with the only the... keener that actually Wait, made his mom happy. What's your degree, degree in? Political science. That's great, though. Is it? I think so. Because oh, okay. then now, especially, everything's gone to shit, so you can just, like, use that <laughs> and draw on your... I don't know. I would. I, I mean, but then I'm also a megalomaniac, so I, like, we're, <laughs> as you're about to see as we go into the One Direction debate. You also just sort of uh, uh, breezed over. You wrote for TV. What did you write for TV? I wrote very briefly on the show called Spun Out, and they were very generous to give me this job off of Twitter, and then I... Was that the Dave Foley show? Yeah. Things got weird on that thing, eh? (laughs) There's a a whole story there. There's a story there, but I wasn't (laughs) there for that. I was only there for a little bit, and I realized in that time that I'm very bad as a collaborator. Like, I'm much better by myself, because I have the Alexander Hamilton complex of thinking I'm the smartest one in the room, (laughs) which in this case, I know is not the case. It's your podcast. I'm against. No, no, you probably are. But if we were to be like, let's write a show together, like three minutes in, I'd be like, all of your ideas are garbage. (laughs) So, but I think that's good to know. I think it'd be a disaster if I sat here being like, I love collaborating. No, it's, it's good wonderful. to know your limits. It's good. I'm much better alone. Sure. Not like in life. Like I don't, I'm not like the Hulk walking around being like all sad. <laughs> I just mean working. <laughs> what's your, what's your book going to be about? It's, um, it's called Nobody Cares. And cause nobody does. I mean, I hope they care about the book, but it's basically <laughs> essays on, um, kind of like growing up and I have a newsletter I do every week. And it's based a bit on that, which is like sometimes it's advice, other times it's like here's a terrible thing that happened to me, but here's how we can kind of make it a universal experience where we can all realize that everybody's life is terrible sometimes. And it's like I like to make it an inclusive thing. 
because um, everybody uh, thinks everybody's looking at them, but nobody cares. Well, that's kind of the, the misconception is you always, everything's so much bigger in your own head, Like, but you realize just people are just into their own shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, whenever, sometimes young bands will ask me for advice, and they'll be like, and then I was like, oh, the first thing you got to remember is actually nobody cares. Nobody, cares. nobody gives a shit. It's like, and so this is what you got to think about your career is like that. It's really the most important, meaningful thing in the world, and you f***ing sweat and bleed for it, but also no one gives a shit. So do not be precious about things. No one is looking at you. Yeah. Although in my head, everyone, like when I'm walking down the street, I'm like, I am the star of the movie of my own life. <laughs> What's the soundtrack? To um, whatever. Today it was Notorious B.I.G.'s no. Essential Ooh. Playlist. And I was like, this is like, this is my day. Like here I am. I've been up so early. And then in my, and then you realize like no one's paying attention to you. Especially not the taxi driver that almost hits you on the way over here. <laughs> they don't care and nobody else does either. But it's liberating. Yes. You're wearing a Leonardo shirt. Yes. I, I only point that out because uh, yesterday I actually sent Max and my brother Greg a oral history of My Heart Will Go On <gasps> from Titanic. It's so good. Did you read that? Yes. It's tattooed on it. my She's back. She's a pop culture aficionado. <laughs> Max, have you read it yet? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Shane? It was not sent to me. Sorry, buddy. I'll send <laughs> it to you. Yeah. We're really excluding Shane. And I, know. I feel bad. No, I don't care. I don't like talking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking okay. of uh, Celine, mm -hmm. uh, we were walking through the airport Two days ago, and I was listening to Leon's greatest hits. Leon, Leon, yeah. <laughs> that's your nickname for Celine, your little pet name. Celine's yeah. greatest hits, and I put on "That's the Way It Is," which is my favorite song of hers. Really? And then I listened. I was like, "This sounds exactly like a Backstreet Boys." What are the chances Max Martin wrote the song? And of course he did. Oh, it sounds exactly like what was the? I got in the car with with Max and him and his lady Lauren put it on, and they literally sang. Uh, I want it that way by the Backstreet Boys. No, 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 it was, uh, it was, uh, I don't care who you Great are. Great song. Yeah, but it, also but they, by it all slides right into The Way It Is by Celine Dion. It's all really? the same chord just, structure just and tempo. Ba like any Backstreet Boys song along to that song, and it works perfectly. I will. I yeah. mean, I already did it on my own time, but now I will do it and I will study it. Oh my goodness. That's, see, that's very, I love, I love Celine and I loved her as a kid. I had her whole discography by the time I was 11, which was not cool at the time. And now I just want to say on this podcast, I was always cooler than everyone. One. And there's now, finally, I'm willing to say it. Speaking of Selena, it's like I used to play like The Power of Love, like ironically, <gasps> and now I just, I love it. It's actually one I just oh, it's, it's a, a song, song I really enjoy. We used to we um, my friends and I would rollerblade and roller skate around like our main street and we would put like bring a big boombox out and just play Celine Dion <laughs> and do routines. Like we were I can't stress how cool I was with my mushroom cut doing this. <laughs> she she's actually like one of the only people who can be like the queen and like be like so revered but by also at the same time clearly being like the most like neurotic quirky Montreal mom at the same time right she's like like people like it's not like oh did you know behind the scenes she's actually a quirky Montreal mom no she's like in public a very quirky Montreal mom isn't it oral history she comes off great yeah. she's like doesn't take herself too seriously she's very sort of frank about how the song got made how she didn't want to do it it's well even great. at the Met Gala she did because they did those little short films behind the scenes if you like she does one and it's fantastic it's super amazing but then at one point she takes off her shoe and uses it as a pretend phone <laughs> and it's like that's like you're a mom like you're Canada's mom yeah that like means, you're like mom you're embarrassing me and Stop then Shania that. Twain's like everyone's cool aunt oh I like that theory. did you know that Celine is younger than Shania I did not know that interesting oh my god I, Drake loves them both and that brings me joy <laughs> like I love that so much Aubrey is just an entity into himself to did me. you Instagram a photo of Drake like Absolutely, sort of bowing down to Celine I just saw that recently yeah yes. it's like it's a blessed image and what, what do you th I think Drake has a uh, sort of related has a reputation for like calling out 
like women at award shows that he clearly wants to probably just sleep with. Like he did it at the MFVAs for Gigi. He did it at the Billboard Awards with Vanessa Hudgens. He's like Vanessa. That was weird. Yeah, but he does that all the time. <laughs> yeah. I feel like he gets to where anybody else is like, we'll just go. Oh, come on, stop it. But with Drake, like ah, Drake, he's just being a chairman guy. What do I, you think of it? Okay, well, I mean, I have a very complex relationship with Aubrey Graham. He does not know <laughs> like who I am. Aubrey, by the way. I know Obs. It's we're very close. He doesn't know it, but I do. I <laughs> feel like Drake is like. Because of every, and I hate to be one of those people. It's like he's done so much for Canada, but he has. He's made Canada this like buzzword that didn't kind of exist before, or had been like kind of um, we would equate Canadian music to like Celine or Shania. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but people kind of saw it as something passe, like Michael Bublé, like safe, yada yada. And then Drake comes on, makes it like cool to not just be a Canadian person, but also to be kind of thirsty and weird and have it be accepted. And then that gives way to like artists like Bieber. I mean, Bieber and him kind of came out at the same time, but like Bieber, and then you have like Shawn Mendes, who's equally sincere and earnest. And then you have like Alessia Cara, who like leads with um, like very like authenticity and vulnerability. So everything Drake does, even though sometimes I'm like, oh my God, no, I'm still like, okay, but you're really like, you're you're playing the game. You're doing a good job. Like, I feel like he's my son. <laughs> I actually know. I feel like he's my friend, and I feel like Bieber's my son. Okay. Because Bieber, Bieber's your delinquent son. Oh, my God. Who's going through a phase. He, watch, he reminds me, though, of everyone I knew growing up. Like, <laughs> he's from this, he's 20 minutes away from where I grew up. So that's why I'm like, oh, I know you. I know you, you grew up in Cambridge. I did. So before we get to the 1D stuff, how do you become a prominent writer? How, how do, do you get you, this Guardian? Yeah, uh, how do you get these gigs? Occasionally? You are fueled entirely by caffeine and anxiety. Nice. And you have delusions of grandeur that you're going to sustain yourself writing. Um, and then for seven to eight years, you will get no money. <laughs> and you will be <laughs> so sad. And then one day you realize that like, oh, actually, I've kind of built something. So for me, it started like I got, I went on Craigslist, which don't work, I don't do that. And I was <laughs> writing for like $5 a piece in like 2008. And then I, you just take that and then you pit, use what you've done to pitch to a new place, to pitch to a new place, to pitch to a new place. Right. And then you're just like, you're just, it's almost like when you're, I'm sure, Max, you, you know, it sounds very familiar. Yeah, it's like you just keep going. It's like an endurance test. And then one day you stop and you're like, oh shit, I've made a career. But then because you're still so anxious, you are like, I can't stop. You have, the, you have the trauma of like not having any money. Yes. And that always is going to be with you. So you're like, oh my God, is this all going to go away from tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> I got to keep working harder. Literally today, even now, I'm like, okay, well, you could nap for like 30 minutes, but then you better pitch to like some new places because everyone will forget about you. Like, I wish that I could turn that off, but I'm literally fueled by like caffeine and anxiety. And then also like the narcissism of like wanting attention. And sure. like, I mean, <laughs> I hate when people are like, it's not noble, but like being a writer is not a noble thing unless <laughs> you're doing like the Lord's work or like something but like what I, <laughs> this all sounds way too familiar it's yeah it's it's i also like it strokes your ego because you're like look at my words i've written and then people yeah. are like hey that's pretty good and you're like yes read it all and then 10 <laughs> seconds later you're like oh my god i'm a fraud they're gonna realize i'm a fraud i gotta write some more it's really beautiful functionally how does it work is it like paid by word when you're a freelancer i never know how like writers actually make their living. i still don't know how um <laughs> to be honest sometimes people are like we pay this much a word is that fine and i am like sure i i'm so I have no idea. I'm so oblivious to everything. Some people are like, you get that much? You should not. You should get more. I'm like, I don't know. I'm afraid to ask for more. So I just, uh. um, <laughs> there's like, a, there's like set rates where now you're like, okay, I won't do something for like $10 because that's sure. insane. But um, you just, I, I mean, 
it's per word, per piece, per, sometimes it's a contract, or they're like, give us five in this amount of time and you'll get this much. Or if it's a speaking thing, it's like a different rate. Then there's, it's, it all varies. You just have to keep tabs on it. Like I literally write down everything that I'm like doing and then like go back on notes and like you have to be meticulous in your notes. Sure. Because otherwise you'll freak out. Do you reach out with ideas or do they come to you with pitches? Both. Right. Um, There's some people, I love when an editor does that because then you're like, sick. (laughs) Don't have to think right now. This is (laughs) wonderful. But then some days you'll have like a night where you're like, I'm going to work tonight. And then you go through all of your places that you write for and you like, it's like a game almost where you're like pitching to this person, this person, this person, this person. And you never pitch the same idea. So then someone might reject that idea, but then that's okay. You'll take it over there. It's like that kind of a thing. I sound like a crazy like war planning person the way I'm doing. I'm like, you get your little soldiers out and you move them around the board. But it's like, yeah, I don't know. The internet, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do this if I didn't have the internet. I would not, I don't, well, I mean, I'm sure I would, but I'd be living somewhere in squalor, I'm sure. (laughs) I don't write for print very much. Want to move on to 1D, guys? Let's get to 1D. Okay, I so want to talk about myself more, but that's <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> Fellas, you got any questions no, you know, for that, Anne that before is you all, That is all interesting stuff because a lot of the times when we're talking to bands and, uh, you know, entertainers or actors, it's like, how do you do it? How do you figure it out? So we like those kinds of questions. You just And you just hard. gave a good answer. You so. work hard, and then you keep working hard, and then you die. You and know that's what? what happens. Incubus had a good, because uh, we interviewed Incubus on the last podcast. Humble brag. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but, they, but they talked about you also have to have a sort of sense of... Uh, like blind optimism in what you're doing. You're just like, you, like you have to be a little delusional. Absolutely. Because uh, if, if you get too realistic about things, you're like, there's no way this should ever work. The yes. percentages are not in my favor. Yeah, the odds are so terrible that if you're practical about things, you probably never would start doing anything. Do yeah, you have to honestly be delusional and almost like really narcissistic to think that people give a shit what you're doing. Like yeah. you have to be like, I believe people will want to read this and like really believe it. And then also assume that you're like, I channel Beyonce in those moments sure. where I'm like, would Beyonce question this? I don't know her. So in my head, she would never question no. anything. Have you ever had anyone react super negatively to one of your pieces? I've had, oh my God, tweets, especially, t- pieces, yes. It just, it happened. If you write something feminist, um, good luck. <laughs> um, tweets, especially though, like sometimes, like the day after the election, I tweeted something and I forget what it was. It was like, whatever. And an alt right blog picked it up. And wow. then yeah. I got, thousands of at replies that ranged from death threats to rape threats to like my photo going around and like alt-right guys saying whether or not they'd sexually assault me and for like two days your feed is just like garbage and I was feeling like I didn't I mean that's it's a weird thing when something that happens and then I texted my friend Sachi Cole who wrote this very good book called Oh Sachi so Mike D in our band is married to a reporter named Molly Hayes. Yes. Who knows Sachi. Yes. And Sachi's book, One Day We'll All Be Dead and None of This Will Matter, is so wonderful. And she's gone through a lot on the internet. So I reached out to her and was like, hey, this is happening. What did you do? She's like, it'll be done in two days. And it was. It was done in two days. And then once something like that happens once, and it has happened again, not as bad, you don't care as much. And so that's as simple as that. Do you like sort of actively not read the vitriol? Or do you can't help yourself and you go through them? I never read comments because... Who has the time to do that? Um, at replies can be hard because they'll just show up and sure. you're like, oh, here we go. But then sometimes now I get to the point where I almost want to make them matter. So like I'll like it depends. Sometimes I'll just block. But other times I'll say stuff like I'll, I'll be like, how is your day? Are you having a nice day? <laughs> like during Christmas, I was like, I hope you and your family have the most wonderful holiday. And then some would be like, oh, thank you. You too. Like it was so weird. Um, and then other times I'll just be like. Never at me, which is my favorite default. All right, well, this is a good segue <laughs> to talk about 1D because the, the the few times that I've tweeted about 1D, 
their fans are crazy and they find it. And then even if you haven't even tagged one D or Harry or whoever, they'll find it and then in, want to engage in a conversation with you. Big time. So does that happen to you when you write about one D? Constantly. Okay. Let's, let's, uh, well, you've written uh, two articles that I think we've all read, you know, one for the guardian, uh, what do the solo projects tell us about, uh, one yeah. D and then also uh, for MTV.com, who cares who Harry Styles is singing about me. A is who he's <laughs> singing about. He's singing about me. It's very beautiful. Sometimes Max. Uh, I wish. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to say uh, or ask about your that piece about Harry Styles and who he's singing about is you're, you make the argument that you made in the piece so everyone knows what you're talking about. Um, nobody cares. Again, plugging my book that comes out in September 2018. Um, <laughs> Harry... Here, okay, so basically, we got to have you back on when the book comes oh out. Oh my god, I would come here every week and hang out with you guys. <laughs> this is a, I am having a blast already. This is wonderful. I, I'm having the best time. Um, Harry basically dated Taylor Swift back in the day, and then her album 1989 included songs that had to do with the white um, t shirt, the song. white t shirt, the song style. Basically, I feel like a lot of the album was about him or baiting us to make us think it was about him because she's a businesswoman. You make that argument in the piece that you think, yes, either they are writing about something authentic to them or mm -hmm. they realize that people will pick it up because that's the code they want to sort of decodify would be yeah the and like two ghosts is like everybody was like oh my god it's about taylor uh, and it's it. like i, I oh, it's so good right yeah. but do no it also doesn't matter it doesn't because then it takes away like i think the best thing about pop music is that you put yourself into the narrative and you're like this is so me even if it doesn't have anything to do with you and as soon as it's like this is the taylor swift song it's like well all right, now I'm just going to think about Taylor Swift. I think it's a two-tiered thing. I think the song needs to be good for anybody to come back and listen to it and to care about the song. So, like, the, the DNA of the song needs to stand on its own. But then there's a second part. So, for instance, on the weekend, I was we had to do an acoustic thing. We were out in Sasquatch Festival. And I was trying to think of something inventive to do. So I was like, maybe we cover Carolina by Harry Styles. So I started... Like frantically trying to learn the words, <laughs> and just made a face and, for the because it's an awesome song. And by the way, it is just purely a ripoff of "Stuck in the Middle with You." Well done, of course. But anyway, as an aside, um, and I was looking through the lyrics because there's one lyrics I, lyric I couldn't really quite make out, and it said, uh, "Her grandma told her towns, you better swim before you drown." I was like, "Towns? That's a very random." So I looked it up. Turns out, towns is a is a real life girl from South Carolina who went to UCLA for school, who lives in LA now, who went on a blind date with Harry Styles. And so then I started to like the song that much more because I was like, oh, this is like a random that Harry like went on a date with and probably hooked up with. And he's talked to me, he's like, I, I can't stop thinking about her. I wrote a song. I wonder if she's going to find out about it. I guess she knows it now. And can you believe being Towns? It's basically who you could be. Some random person, not, I guess you're almost a celebrity now. Maybe you are a celebrity, but like. Almost 40,000 followers 40, on Twitter. She, she's uh, more of a celebrity than we know. are. Uh, but but, but what I'm saying fun. is, it's like, I think that it makes me appreciate the song a little bit more. It's like when you, when you have a bit of like. Uh, Max history. wants the story. I like the story because. And I that's, like the story. See, yeah. And like, and that's why I've always liked pop-up video. That's why I like the website genius.com because you can kind of go through the lyrics and go, oh, that's what they're referring to. So I, I'm personally. I don't know. I like the, I like the bit of celebrity dirt and also just the background on the story. But that also comes to you. You're coming from the perspective of a songwriter too. Sure. That's the difference. As yeah. a listener, just mm. as a consumer, yeah. I listen and think like you like it. I think sometimes a little tidbits fun, but it's the objective. You want to assign your own meaning. Yes. Shaney, do you like to assign your own meaning to a song, or do you prefer to know the backstory? Um. Yeah. I, I don't even. 
retain the lyrics, to be honest. With you. <laughs> I just like a good melody. Lyrics are irrelevant. Okay. Shane walked in yeah. from the street today. He does not work at much music. <laughs> no, I didn't uh, do any of the homework. Sorry, I was busy with the shoot. So I oh, la di da. out of it right now. I want you to go on the internet and read everything I've ever written in my life. <laughs> All right, so um, give us your current 1D rankings. Oh, I like that. This yeah. is controversial, and I, I want to <laughs> give a disclaimer here. I respect the 1D fandom more than words can say, yeah. because... The power of teenage girls is unlike anything in the entire world. <laughs> and they will change the world. So I'm like, listen, there's no shade at the fandoms, just at the members. So that's my disclaimer. So Harry's number one. Why? Well, that album is fantastic. Did you like Sign of the Times? I did like Sign of the Times. Can I be real, though? It threw me when I heard the rest of the album because I expected something equally. I wanted the whole th album to be theatrical, and then it wasn't. And see, then see, I'm the opposite. I hated Sign of the Times, really? and I liked the rest of the record. Oh, my God. Yeah. Do you want to fight in the parking lot? <laughs> Let's do it. Sick. Amazing. We'll have a Harry off, and I'll just scream lyrics at you. It'll be so good. <laughs> um, so then we have Harry there. I am tied for two. Wow. And that is exactly the reaction you should have when I... <laughs> <laughs> that is completely accurate. Um, because, oh, God, Niall and Zane. Number two, because Niall was going to be like, I did not like Our Town because that is not my kind of music at all. And I don't like, I get people enjoy acoustic guitars. They do it well. That's great. Everybody, it's, some people are good at it, some people are bad. But he didn't really bring much to 1D with that. But then that new single. Slow hands. Oh my God. Where that, was that guy this whole time? That is a very cool song. Hello, friend. <laughs> that being said, Zayn is the voice of an angel. You cannot deny He's that. He's got the best voice in the band. He has such a good voice. And I didn't really like Mind of Mine very much, but because I kind of felt like it was like the weekend diet version, like a little watered down. But that vo that voice, it's so good. Is, is it Lewis or Louie? Louie. Louie? Louie. Worst voice in the band. Worst, worst voice? Worst voice in yeah, the Yeah, bless his heart. <laughs> yeah. He, good lord. You know, the funny thing is I'm going to rank him above Liam. Oh, yeah. Well, that song. I mean, when he references his own band. Ugh. I used to be in 1D or whatever that Why was. Why are you rapping? Like, what is happening? Have you heard this song, Shane? And nor should you ever <laughs> hear it, to be completely honest. I put, my wife and I were driving in today uh, to Toronto, and I put it on because I was like, oh, I got to listen to all the singles. I know them, but I hadn't heard uh, it's the, new. The the Liam Liam song's one. new. I'd heard you and my brother talk about it, and I put it on, and like halfway through, she was like, just turn it off. Please turn it <laughs> so off. So it's like literally like what I would listen to going to like the NRG All Ages Club when, in 2003 <laughs> and just being like, let's just do this. I'm like. Say the Energy All Ages Club? Yeah, like in, in Burlington? Burlington? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I put in some time at Kingdom. Someone actually flashed us the last time we were there and we never went back because we were like, this is weird. We're 18. What is happening right now? No, yeah. sorry, 15. Oh my God. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Well, that's another podcast for another day. But okay. I. How much patience do you have for Zane's broodiness? I have a lot of patience because I read his memoir. He has a memoir? He has what? a memoir. <laughs> and he actually, it's, it's surprising. I mean, it's not well written because... Did he actually read it? I, I mean, write I it? I believe he did based on how it reads. Like where you're <laughs> like, this can't... you. If you got a ghostwriter, this you should talk to that person and then fire them and then blacklist them. But he he talks a lot about his anxiety and his eating disorder and a lot of like some of the addictive situations he had going on in one D, not to drugs, but like to like control and how he was having such a hard time. And that kind of to me, I'm like, oh, there's something authentic in your broodiness because I think it does come from a place where you really do feel like uh, like I'm trapped here. Oh my God. But being raised in that, how do you break out of that? And also he is creative. So you're like, well, all right. And I mean, he's also like an artist enough to be collaborating with the Donatella Versace, which I think is pretty cool. 
He likes spray paints, right? Doesn't he, spray he like spray paints? Did paint you watch arts? the documentary? I saw. Yeah, I did actually. It's very did, good. We watched it in Cuba in Spanish. We only got through the first like fifteen minutes, and we couldn't take that it was in Spanish anymore. Yeah, we gave up. <laughs> you should watch it in English. I own it on DVD. I will lend it to you. Better yet, I'll come to your house and I'll watch it with you Love both. Shane and I vacation in Cuba together, just the two of us. That's beautiful. Started a firestorm of rumors at work, but you know uh, what? And bless this lovely relationship we have blossoming in front of us. <laughs> Set to the one D soundtrack. Who do you think? Uh, will be the most timeless? It's a great question. So, like, in 20 years, like, so for instance, like, Robbie Williams or Justin Timberlake have sort of, like, jumped ahead and everybody else has fallen into the, receded into the background. Who will be the one for 1D or will there be multiple uh, leaders? Well, we I think we can establish right here and right now that Liam is the J.C. Chazet of <laughs> 1D. He's more like the Joey Fatone. Really. I was, I, yeah. No, Joey was in at least a movie. When well, that's they true. He hosted Chris, a show. Kirk, yes. Kirkpatrick. Oh, there you go. much more appropriate. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Harry sprung ahead he played it so well laying low for a whole year yeah. that's fantastic on his part and then he's in Dunkirk so, and it looks good he's in what he's in the movie Dunkirk oh, the new Christopher Nolan, Nolan movie yeah, yeah um, is he gonna have like two lines though no I don't think so because he's in the trailer quite a bit yeah but that's just good marketing <laughs> no but, <laughs> yeah, you know Nolan's a snob though you know he wouldn't just like he's kind right. of a dick so it's like come do you, on do you think he'll be in more of the movie than just two lines or yeah he? yeah I think it's Can we conference now. after the movie? Can I We're come gonna back? We're going to talk. Oh, yeah. This can I be can a we have a Dunkirk? Bit. Good. Can I just be a panelist on your <laughs> podcast sometimes? I don't think Nolan would do stunt cast. You're it? He's like yes. an artist. <laughs> All right. Now, so you think Harry? Sorry. I think Harry's going to break away. I also think he has the voice to carry it. I think his next album will be more interesting mm-hmm. because this was more of an homage to Brit Rock from like the 70s, 60s, I'd say, onward to the 90s. He has the most unique voice in the band. It is so unique. And I mean, even the songs that are kind of like, oh my God, are still not bad. Did you read the Rolling Stone piece on him that Cameron Crowe wrote? I 100% read that. I had to be on- <laughs> Of course so, you did. Of course I did. Do I have it framed in my house? I felt like he came off very bland. Like he doesn't really? have anything to say. Like his music to me from that article felt, it's almost like he's kind of an empty vessel. Like I feel like Zayn is far more interesting as an artist because, you know, he's a little bit damaged. He has something to say. Harry was kind of like, well, life's been great. You know, I'm just kind of rolling and it's like, it's not all a big deal. And He's kind of like, you know what, though? I feel like I'm going to get everyone and their mom at me for this, but he's almost like the Paul McCartney. You know what I mean? I love Paul. Paul's my right. favorite Beatle. That's an interesting But point. like, Paul was bright and shiny and like, a vegetarian and he had Linda and like I mean he had that first marriage but like it what he wasn't like John who was tortured and like yeah. problematic he wasn't like jo- George who like went through his own trials to realize he wasn't like Ringo who like I feel like Niles like Ringo where he like doesn't even know he's in a band like <laughs> <laughs> one day someone will just come up to Niall and be like did you know you were in a band he's like I was like oh my god like oh yeah okay like he and Ringo will collaborate it'll be so nice but I think like it's and that would make sense though because Paul interviewed Harry for another man magazine and that was Harry's first interview interview as a solo artist and that was back in the mm. fall mm. and it was uh it was good but you yeah you that's know. a good comparison because is paul kind of gets that knock where it's like you know people like john because he's dark and he's mm-hmm. a little tortured and paul was all positivity and i'd say the difference great. though is that paul is like wildly talented i just don't know how talented or ambitious paul is very ambitious that's true paul's a musical genius i don't genius. know how ambitious harry is like i don't know and i don't think he's necessarily that talented i think he's got a great voice and he's naturally charismatic and mm-hmm. like very charming and obviously very easy to look at but i don't know how talented he, talented he actually is when it comes to like 
songwriting. He can't dance. Like when, because I was trying to go Ooh, through things take. that like, uh, <laughs> like that makes Bieber, did. I think, exceptional. Mm-hmm. Bieber's an incredible dancer when he wants to be. Yep. He's a great singer. Bieber can kind of do anything better than everybody else. Like he can yeah. play basketball better than everybody else. He's like skate, skateboarding around and stuff He's like so that. He's so good at everything. That's He's why so, I get so frustrated. And I just don't know if Harry is, <laughs> is that good at much. I feel like Harry is very good at being a famous person. Sure. Yeah, he's very good at being charismatic. He's very good at that. And that itself will get you through an SNL episode. Like I thought, effortlessly. His, I thought he, his perform. Like I thought when he was in the skits in his SNL episode, he was he was good. That's he was what I'm saying. Charismatic. Like, he like, but his performance, he didn't know what to do with his hands, and he doesn't have his reps in yet. But it was yeah. like I was watching him, and he just kind of looked like a bit like a deer in headlights. Like, he would turn away from the camera. It was almost like he felt uncomfortable being the lead. Yeah. Which is funny because did you guys ever see Wendy in concert? No. Um, Okay, I did. I saw them their last go around. <laughs> of course you did. Of course yeah. I did. I also got a perfume of theirs to review for that concert. So wow. thank you very much. Um, no, it was a very religious experience for me. But that show was right before they announced the hiatus that was going to come up after. Like it was like their last tour. And my friend and I were watching. And first, Harry sprained his ankle during the show. And we watched him roll it. And then you watched him limp around and then watch him take Advil very, or whatever. I don't know what he's taking. <laughs> um, and you could, I felt like he didn't mind the being the lead when it was part of a pack. But I think there's probably a lot of, there's a big difference between being like the standout in a group and this and being completely by yourself. Because now he is the front man of a band. That's a totally different dynamic. Yeah, than just being Harry style. Like, I feel like he's probably like Alec Baldwin in that 30 Rock episode when he's trying to film the commercial. And he's like, should I hold two mugs? Like, should I? <laughs> like, because, I mean, it's like when you watch him with his guitar, you also feel like he, I kind of like want to. He couldn't play guitar. He doesn't know how to play guitar. I feel like he's learning it how to play. It felt like a safety act. blanket when he had the guitar. It was yeah. something to do with his hands. <laughs> Instead know? of holding two mugs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like he, totally. He had a choice, and that was the one he chose. I know. I was surprised when I saw that. I like, because I could have seen him more as a vocalist, more like a George Michael. Yeah. Which would have been terrific because, I mean, R.I.P. Yeah. George well, could move, though. And as Max says, Harry can't dance. Harry can't dance. I don't know. No, and I will also say that, like, none of them can dance. And they were very <laughs> open about that, yeah. especially in the documentary. Yeah, that, I loved all their videos because, like, they didn't obviously plan much. It was like, just, like, kind of drape your arms around each other, <laughs> smug to the camera. It was like nothing was going on in the just video. It was like, kind of like when beer. we party together and someone's taking a photo. We're yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> but just for a video, yeah. Or like the one where they're on those all those terrible dates. I uh, think like oh, it was a night night something. Um, oh my god, night I changes. Can, no. Night changes. That's great, a great song. song. Great, great song. song. Um, I think we'll see more of what Harry can do. I hope as time goes on because he's only he's a baby. Yeah, he's twenty two. No, early days. You don't know anything at twenty two. I don't care who you are. You're well, the Beatles did right. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, uh, I do want. You I know the Beatles broke up when the Beatles broke up in 1970. George Harrison was only twenty seven years old. That's crazy. Like right. And I mean, that was a different era. Are you a Beatles nut? I do love the Beatles. Yeah, okay. I do love them. All right, we got to get to the interview. We do. So, so but, uh, we're, we're we're talking to members of No Doubt today. It's oh. a- AFI. They're in a band called Dreamcar. It's like a super group. So it's the singer of AFI oh and then the three members of No Doubt. Well, what do they want to talk about One Direction? <laughs> no, we did the interview already. Oh, well, guys, I thought. Do you have I any thoughts like... on No Doubt before we, or AFI for that matter? I mean, I pretended to like AFI in grade 11 because a guy I liked <laughs> liked AFI. <laughs> and I liked one song and I cited the song. I was like, oh, I love that song. And he's like, oh, you know that? And I'm like, yeah. and that was enough. And that was fine. And it was 2001. Yeah. I well, mean, God bless. Well, we had all three members of No Doubt that it's Tony and uh, Tom and Adrian. We actually spoke to Adrian and Tony. And it was. It's pretty cool talking to these guys because it's like everybody sort of grows up listening.
person to no doubt, I feel like, on some level. For sure. So it was kind of crazy just to have them in the room. Maxie, you were there for this one. Yeah, it was. they're very uh, sweet, normal guys, which is what we've been finding over and over again with most of these people. Nobody seems, like, completely out to lunch, even if they've been playing arenas for the last 20 years. They seemed... Uh, I think the one thing that I like to ask these guys is, it's like how much sort of like hustle do they have in them at that age when you've seen the top of the, the mountain? It's like how much incentive is there to go out there and like do interviews with people like us and, you know, play clubs again. But it seemed like they were pretty enthusiastic to do it. And also they didn't resent any of their success in No Doubt. They're just like, no, the only reason why we're here and we get to do this is because No Doubt has has served us really well. So I think that's smart. Yeah, no, 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 totally. But I, I occasionally you'll hear stories about, I think, people in bands that kind of resent their first album and that then they haven't been able to get to that like level of success again and then they kind of come to resent those earlier songs like no but the new stuff's good but like no tragic kingdom we expected to sell like only a handful of copies and it's old you know it's had like 50 million already you asked what it was at now they did oh yeah what did they say again i can't remember it's outrageous well yeah well they were like i think they wanted to sell like a hundred thousand copies which now sounds like a lot i think back then on a major label deal it's not that much and i don't know definitely tens of millions of copies sold that record all right. Well, we want to thank Anne for being here. Thank you, Anne. I live here now. Yeah. I'm now part of this podcast. Next permanently. week you're coming. On. We're going to get you a desk week. in the in the building. I want attention and gifts, and I <laughs> want to be heralded as a queen. You of want the corner office. I want a view, and I want presents, and most importantly, I would like my parking validated. Please <laughs> and thank you. Thank you so much for coming Done. on. We'll you have you back. You're my best friends. <laughs> All right. We're going to get the dream car. Let's do it. How's Coachella's good? Like, I'm, I'm rolling, so if you guys want to talk into the mics, yeah, we're like, we just kind of roll. That's the kind of casual yeah. nature of the podcast. Um, Coachella was great. We, um, that was kind of our anchor date to start the whole live performance of Dream Car. So we did four or five club shows leading up to that point. A couple of days at the Roxy, I saw. A couple of nights at the Roxy, a couple of nights at this place called the Constellation Room in Orange County. Oh, cool. And um, tiny, tiny place. And so really intimate places. And it was great for, you know, especially for Adrian, Tom, myself to get back on the small stages again because it's been a long time. Yeah. And um, it was really fun. Like a great way to start off the, the Dream Car live experience. Were there any nerves going into those small rooms? Absolutely. Or? Part of it was playing at home. That's always kind of nerve-wracking on so many levels, whether it's in front of 350 or 20,000. And, and, uh, and also, you know, we've been working on this music for a good couple of years and, and uh we hadn't played live yet yeah and you know so we weren't road testing you, the material you can't recreate we weren't, a jam space you just can't yeah. you know we can we we rehearsed really well and we we, we knew our parts but it's, it's just not the same thing as getting up there and doing it and being in the moment yeah and also i feel like with the bigger shows it's, you have to have to emote to the people in the last row but also you have a lot of lights and things and like video screens but when it's a small club it's like it's sort of just you guys it's like it's like there's there's not as much production to help stripped down it's just the music and us on stage and you know you you realize it when you in the uh, the place i mentioned before the constellation room it's so tiny like there's people you know people can touch you that's how small the stage is and if you walk one foot to the left or the right the wrong way you can knock your bandmate off the stage it's that small and um it was it was a it was an experience that we really haven't had for such a long time, and uh, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. Like there's, you just realize there's something so beautiful about small places, 
intimate venues where the, all the energy is contained versus, you know, as, as is those big shows, you know, there's something beautiful about both. Um, I mean, getting to dream car, uh, I guess I, I we just kind of want to know, I guess to start, how did you guys and Davey come together? What's the story there? So Davey, um, we've known Davey for years. Um, our bands, uh, have played either, either we've met at shows or we've played similar shows and, did you ever and tour together. We never toured together. And the only time um, we actually ever played together on the same stage, I believe, is in 2012 when Block Audio played with No Doubt at one of our shows in, in Los Angeles at the Universal Amphitheater. And um, we've always, you know, we've always been fans of Davey. He's such an incredible front person and uh, he's very magnetic. And um, we, uh, when, when Tom, Adrian, and I had been discussing, like, let's continue to play music, we love playing together. And we've been playing together for almost 30 years now. And um, we wanted to keep going and be creative. Uh, Davey was the person that popped into our minds. So when he said yes, it was just like it. You know, it was just it was it was a perfect storm of goodness. You know that that came together. Well, that's an interesting thing as far as process. So it's like when you three decide, you know, we want to keep creating together. We want to make music. Do you have a short list of of singers you want to have in? Do you think about maybe jumping up front and singing? Like, what's that conversation? Oh, you like? wouldn't want to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't sing. No, no. There are no microphones in front of myself, Tom, or Tony right. on stage. <laughs> For a reason. Uh, there really isn't a short list. And when we talked about, you know, uh, well, to back up, like, we we make music, you know, often, you know, whether it's, you know, trying to get on a soundtrack or just, you know, just still playing together. And, um, but then when the idea came of, like, maybe let's let's see if we can do, like, another band, there wasn't a short list. It was Davey. That was the only name we had discussed. Right. So you just you knew you were going to do something where you wanted to maybe get on the road again, play live again, as opposed to just creating for yourselves or for soundtracks, like you said. It was about creating. It really was. It was about creating new music and putting stuff out there. And whatever happened with it, if we ended up playing live, that would be additional, like, icing on the cake. But it was about creating. You know, we talked to a lot of bands that have you know, have had extremely successful careers and you get to the top. And I'm always interested in their sort of relationship with their past work. You know, do you find that it informs the new work? Do you find it almost like a burden to live up to? How do you sort of like navigate that in your own mind, I guess I would say, when you're creating new stuff? That's a good question. I mean, I think that, that we didn't really put too many parameters on this because um, like Tony said, this is, you know, a space to just be creative. There was no management. There was no record company. It was just four people coming up with ideas um and it wasn't we didn't have any conscious thought or discussion of what kind of sound or what kind of band this could become but however i think we were individually all conscious of let's make sure this doesn't sound like hey a fire no doubt yeah um but other than that we we were just kind of going for it and whatever came naturally we 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 gravitated towards the one thing I think that we don't take for granted is is the fact that we have these histories between Davy's history and our history, and that provided this platform for people to be interested in what we might be doing. You know, and we don't take that for granted. Like it gave us, it opened the door for people to, you know, uh, want to maybe be curious about our new music, and so that was a nice place to start from. And I think the fact that, as Adrian mentioned, that that. These bands are our band is is different from our previous projects. That's important. You know what I mean? It's it's like about doing something new, and I think we were able to accomplish that with Dream Car. Mm. It was interesting. We were talking to Kings Leon. We were talking about some of their past records and you know the, the really successful sort of songs that they'd had. 
And the question was sort of, you know, in the moment, did they know that those songs would be successful? When they look back, did they sort of uh, go, oh, yeah, it's awesome. You know, and, and their answer was kind of like, well, some of them, we were kind of like, shit, we didn't think anything of it. And then it becomes, you know, this monster song. And then they go, okay, I, I guess. D did you guys know sort of along the way with some of these monster hits that that's exactly what they were? Or did it almost take sort of people catching on to, to frame them that way? You never really know. And, <laughs> and to back up to... Um, our Tragic Kingdom record. I yeah. mean, we just wanted to put it out. We'd worked <laughs> on it for so long, and you know, we it, it was we just wanted to be able to go and do a real tour. You know, I think one of us, maybe it was me, said, you know, if we sell a hundred thousand records, this that'll be awesome for that band. And you know, where do you at now? What's the count? <laughs> I lost count, but, <laughs> but um. Yeah, so I don't think any of us thought, yeah, this one song was going to be a huge hit. It, it it's it's hard to predict that. And obviously, once there's success, there's more pressure to come, you know, with uh, outside forces saying, well, do we, do we have hits or do we not have sure. hits? And you know, we we could all we could do is just come up with songs that we think sound and feel cool. But back to Dreamcar, that was the beauty of of. Uh, making this record or at least the writing process there there was no outside forces of saying i don't hear any hits you know it's just pure organic creativity sure yeah. Tony, i like what you were saying about how your histories and no doubt afi have provided this platform i always find that interesting when you think about here you hear some artists who almost resent that they have this hit that they have to live up to and there's other people that are maybe a little more serene about it, kind of the tone that you use. You're like, no, this is just, this is all a bit of a luxury and a privilege that we have. Is that kind of a common theme within the band or do people struggle with it to various degrees of like living up to things that happened in the past or just no. the, your general state of Zen, I guess. I, 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 I don't, I think it's a general feeling that we all share. And for Davey, he's doing AFI. Like yeah. he, he parts with us this weekend and he's off to do an AFI tour, you yeah. know, so he's doing both right now. Um, but, I, I think if there's one thing that the history, for Tommy and myself, the one thing that the history of No Doubt has afforded us is the luxury to go and explore and do this stuff. Like, we're so fortunate to be able to go do things for just to create new music, you know what I mean? And that's a nice place to be because um, it can be really free-spirited and really, you know, as Adrian said, organic from the get-go. It's a good space to create, and a lot of musicians aren't afforded that sort of uh, play area. That's right. Um dynamic between band members is always interesting I, what's it been like with you guys and davy do you find because you three have such a sort of like a, a working relationship does it ever become three on one do you know how, what's the dynamic like between the four of you well it's it's you know super democratic at least it has been up until this point and which is nice you know i feel like we're all adults and we can have pretty honest conversations and uh you know it's it's harder when you're, you know, 20 years old and you're trying to figure out how to be a democracy and, and keep that going. And, you know, there's a lot of growing up that needs to happen when you, when you get in that situation when you're young. And uh, so we're having a good time. Um, you know, these songs, I think we're all so proud of this music and the process and the level of respect that we've engaged in on the creative side of it. That's kind of led the charge in my mind, you know, there's not, we're not looking over each other's shoulders saying, Hey, you know, you should play like this or, 
you should sing like that. It's it's been it's been really respectful, and um, it's nice to be in that environment. Well, speaking of sort of the the music of Dreamcar, you know, I feel like there's always been hints of obviously '80s new wave in No Doubt. Um, is this like a muscle you've been sort of like using, like yearning to use more? Uh, and was you know this a direction that you'd be pushing with or without sort of doing a, a, another No Doubt record? Is this sort of that kind of style of music? Is that just sort of what you wanted to create, or is it what came out naturally? I think it's part of our growing up. I think it's the, it's part of the fabric of who we are um, because all those bands were so influential on us. There was never a conversation about being that band. I think it just kind of came out naturally, and maybe the chemistry between the three of us and Davey brought that out. Um, because we have similar points of reference in the music that we all love. So I think it was, it was almost inevitable that it was going to go in that direction, but there was never a conversation about, Let, let's try this or let's do this. It was just being in that moment and being artistic and being creative and just like letting ourselves just have fun with the music and seeing where it went. And if something appealed to us, like you had a keyboard part, and you're like, oh, that feels so comforting and so, you know, feel like I'm going home, then we just we pursued it. We didn't have any reason to inhibit ourselves you worked with the neon trees fella on the, or is that coming up I no we worked with a, a gentleman named tim, tim. pagnotta yeah. who produced neon trees mm-hmm. and um, some other bands. Yes, yeah how was that he was great yeah he's so knowledgeable what's his specialty if he's got you know what i would say all of it he gets so deep into it i mean his his uh commitment to sonically you know the approach to the songs, to the songwriting, to to all of it. He goes really, really deep as a producer. He's so good at his craft, and uh, he was definitely the right guy for, for the for the for this band. You see some like iconic musicians like Jack White continue to create like on a very sort of intense level, and uh, others are sort of more deliberate. Maybe they're not super compelled to create. Where do you guys fall, fall on that spectrum? Do you do you find that you're super prolific with creating, whether you put music out or not, or do you kind of let it come to you? That's a- Good question. Um, I, I think, you know, there was, there's been some time off from No Doubt for the three of us. There's been some time off from No Doubt, and each of us pursued different things creatively. Um, but this is really the first time the three of us have kind of come together and done something um, this kind of specific. And, I mean, we've invested three years of our life into this project so far. And um, so... I don't know if I answered your question. Who's the busybody of the band, and who, who's just like, <laughs> let me know when the gig is, like, or does everybody sort of work on a similar? No, no, work, it's a very there's work ethic level. No, it's a, it's a very similar work work ethic. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, obviously, Davey's really busy between AFI and AFI touring and Dreamcar touring, and he's working on Black Audio, and he's got lots of stuff going on. He sounds like a real busybody. He's a busy, oh, yeah. busy guy. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think all of us are are, are pretty. Uh, no, it's it's interesting. I think with all of us. For Adrian, Tom, and myself, we all have kids too, so you know we have that part of our lives as well. Um, but when we're in the dream car moment, everyone's 100% committed. It feels like that way, you know, like everyone's like, "Let's do this. Let's make this happen." We have this limited amount of time to make these great things happen. Let's go for it. I, I'm sort of fascinated by the idea of like when you guys decide to go and do a project like this. You know, it's going to be very public. You guys are going to be touring it. Is that a conversation that you have with Gwen, where you're like, "Hey, we're going to go do this." And how does that conversation go? And sort of where does she fall on the spectrum of like, cool, do your thing, or well, and vice versa when she wants to go do the voice or whatever? Like, yeah, I mean, we let her know, and um, you know, I, she's so busy. I mean, she's like you said, she's on the voice, did a solo record, did a solo tour, and uh, she has kids as well, and new boyfriend in the Midwest, <laughs> <laughs> and so um, yeah. I mean, here's here's the thing. This is what this is what we do best. 
each one of us individually and sometimes collectively, we, we play music. I can't do anything else. <laughs> and so I'm going to do this. And, you know, when no doubt's not working, I'm still going to be playing drums. And at the moment I'm stoked to be playing with my friends and, uh, you know, touring a record that I'm super proud of. Um, I don't think a lot of people get that second chance to, you know, actually put out a record and do a full band thing across the U S you know, it's, uh, it's a nice place to be. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, you're both parents. Do you find that you miss the road and sort of that life? It's such a unique career or do you, you know, if it never happened again, would you be like, I'm cool. I'm hanging with my kids. Or do you start to get that itch? I, for me, uh, I, f I think it's about finding a balance. And, you know, we've just been out here on the East Coast for a couple weeks now. But what happened is last Friday night we played New York City. Saturday morning we flew to Los Angeles and played the K-Rock Weenie Roast. And then Sunday we flew back to Philadelphia. And I was, you know, we'd already been gone for a week and I was missing my kids. And I got to see them and connect with them for like, you know, less than 24 hours. But for a few hours at the show and then had breakfast with them before I flew back out. That was important to me. That was really great, you know, and I'm going to see him again on Sunday. So I think it's about finding that balance for me personally. Like, it's like, I don't want to be away for too long. I was talking to Kurt Smith from Tears for Fears, and he said prior to this tour that they're about to embark on, they haven't been away for more than two weeks at a time. I've heard that. That's the he's, magic number. He's never been away from, from his kids for more than two weeks, and I think his kid's going to college now. So he's wow. been doing this consistently, obviously, for many, many years. And I thought that was like a golden rule to apply to ourselves, you know, and... Why not? When you can, if you can, if you can make that happen, let's do it. Set the terms. Yeah, I've heard that from uh, friends of mine who have kids that are in bands. Like, try to keep to the two two week rule. So, what, you go off for two rule. weeks, yeah. come back for a week, or like whatever. Yeah, it is. no, like no more than two weeks. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. It's always interesting whenever you talk about super bands, and you know, there's a path for bands like this to like obviously work with something like Audio Slave or Velvet Revolver, where you sort of take a singer from one prominent band, bring them to another prominent band. How much thought have you put into sort of where this cycle might take you guys? Do you guys think about that stuff, like, from a... The cycle? You played Weenie Roast, the, you know, that you're clearly... That's the it's a K-Rock big festival, like... Well, I mean, we're... we're, we're de I mean, the going for it, you're here with us. Yeah, like, yeah. what's the... Yeah. What's the, the record <laughs> what's came the out ambition? Yeah. two weeks ago, so we're, we're, we're grinding. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've, we've heard the, the super blah, blah, blah term kind of thrown out, but... Which is flattering, but we're... we're we're slugging it out. We're out here grinding. We're playing small clubs. We're introducing a brand new band, and uh, and we're gonna keep doing it. You know, probably for the rest of the year, and see what 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 that uh, where this band ends up after you know people get to hear the record and live with it for a while. And it, I hope that the cycle takes us into 2018 and we can do a proper tour. But um, yeah, I mean it's 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 humbling in the greatest ways possible. We're playing small clubs. We're talking to you guys. We're talking to other people, and we're 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 showing something we're really proud of. What's the set list look like? Is it it's all the entire dream? record front to back? Cool. <laughs> Plus a couple covers. What covers? Are you allowed to tell us? Um, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, totally. We've been doing them. We're doing uh, oh, yeah. don't, don't change by In Excess. Oh, nice. We're doing Moon Age Daydream by Bowie. Oh, uh, killer. And we also mix in uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy by Alice Cooper as well. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's a good, <laughs> good choice. Yeah, you don't bust out any No Doubt or AFI no, tunes. No, 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 that no. would not make sense for this. Project. None of that business. No, that was that's not what we're here for. It, you know, it, it wouldn't be respectful to Davies bandmates. Either it's not respect. It, it just doesn't make sense. Sure. Um, I guess lastly, unless you have another question, I was going to ask about the contrast and difference uh, 
between songwriting with, you know, and obviously if Davey were here, we're going to ask like AFI as well, but the contrast in writing, I guess, with Dream Car and No Doubt, what's the difference, the main difference you guys have seen? Um, obviously, both Davey and Gwen bring different approaches to their lyrics. They're very different lyrics. Um, that's obvious by just reading them and, and listening to the songs. The one thing I will say is there's there's very many there's a lot of similarities that people might not expect. They're both incredible front people. They're both very dynamic performers and I will say like for me being on stage with Davey, it, it, the energy level hasn't felt that different to me. Like he's 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 a really obviously very energetic front man and Gwen's a very energetic front woman and and they are both they I would just, to me, it's just like there's more similarities than, than things that are different. There's a common spirit between There's a common spirit. Yeah. That's a good way of explaining it, yeah. Thanks so much for your time, guys. Thank, thank you. you guys. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to everybody's favorite part of the episode, the dessert. Uh, you know what? Anne was so great off the top, we said, f*** it, let's just keep her on for the dessert. I love dessert. There's no pie here, but I can get over that. So in the dessert, we welcome our friend and pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Shane, what's going on? Well, this is perfect <laughs> that she's here right now because <laughs> this is the only week since we started the pod that I've had absolutely nothing. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to think of something during the open. <laughs> It'll just come to me. And, some, and sometimes something does come to me. But then as you were talking, I was like, I've never met anyone who's less like me normally and more <laughs> like me when I'm on cocaine. <laughs> hey, Shane here with a quick editor's note. I just wanted to say that the cocaine comment was just an analogy for the fact that this girl talks very quickly. And in no way did I mean to infer that I do cocaine myself. If I ever had done it, which I haven't, it would have been many years ago before I was ever employed by Bell Media, and quite frankly, it freaked me out. But again, I have never tried cocaine. Anyway, back to the show. <laughs> she and then you start, we started talking about this keeper documentary. The keepers, it, yeah. It, the keepers on Netflix. Mm -hmm. But I was kind of watching it and like, a, like I. Uh, How far along are you? I think I'm like four episodes in, but I was kind of like falling asleep and waking up and I couldn't really do it justice. So I wanted to rewatch it and talk about it. But hey, why don't you just handle it? It's really <laughs> messed up. Like, Max, yeah. help me out here. How do you describe it? Anne's better at this. Go ahead. It's um, a true crime and Spoiler alert. All if, of the spoilers. Yeah, if you're going to watch it, maybe turn off the pod or keep listening or yeah. come circle back after you've seen it. Yeah. yeah, and just tell me how right I am about everything I'm about to say. So <laughs> for this... You think it's going to be like a whodunit because they open with the death of a nun. So you're almost like, okay, I guess they're going to investigate that. It opens up this whole can of worms about like sexual abuse in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that is, it's so, he like I, I love true crime. Like my favorite murder is my favorite podcast. I grew up reading true crime and watching true crime. Like I should have been a detective probably. <laughs> but this was, and I mean, again, as... It's also not too late to become a detective. It's not too late. No, right. it's not. Well, clearly, as we've learned from this show, The yes. Keepers, it, even when you retire from your normal job, you can still set out to solve a murder. Which they do. It's these older, it's these, like, retired women who had gone to this school where They all literally look happens. like my mom. Like, yes. one's a retired teacher and, like, about the same age as my mom. And it's so, it, they work together and, like, you have these women, though, coming forward who are very open about the abuse they sustain. And the thing is, it's in episodes two and three in particular. And I should, I feel like it's responsible only to talk about this podcast to give a warning where those episodes, if you've suffered anything similar, 
are going to like you maybe not watch them or you should just be very careful when you watch them. even if you haven't it's like it's very whoa. upsetting and like oh, yeah and it's not in a way too where you can kind of i think with true crime we're very used to hearing people talk third person about what happened to the victim and you don't hear what the victim went through you hear about what happened to this deceased person whereas now you have a person's face telling you explicitly what happened to them and that is it's very jarring. I was. It made me so angry. Yes. Like uh, in the when the, when the finals uh, episodes, they, there's a lawyer f- that represents the archdiocese. Is that the way you say the word? Mm-hmm. And like saying, like sort of defending the church on some like totally bullshit grounds. And I just started googling his name because I wanted to tweet at him, be like, "Fuck you, man! <laughs> that shit is not cool." I was like literally trying to show. But you should be. Angry. I think that's how. Why this is such a valuable series, though, because you do want. You are shattered, but you're also angry. And I think that the biggest changes come from anger a lot of the time. And this is one of them. And I grew up Catholic. Like I remember, right before I stopped going to church, I was like. 15, I tweeted about this. I was like 15. And I was in confession, and the priest told me he had a boner. And I stopped going to church immediately after that. Maybe the maybe segue into that. I was 15. I had Jesus. questions about like sexuality and stuff. I was like, what does constitute a sex? Like, I was genuinely wondering. And he's like, come back, and after this lines up, and then come, and we'll talk about it. I'm like, okay. So I go in, and he's like, just so you know, first of all, saying boner is the worst thing you can ever mm-hmm. say in your entire life. I don't care who you are. Harry Styles could say it, and I'd be like, oh, my God, get it together. And he was like, <laughs> I just want you to know that I had a boner when you were asking those questions. Oh and it's, you need to know your effect on men, and you're, you need to take responsibility for what you do to them. Is this guy still? I want to tweet at him now. <laughs> he was, like, old as fuck. I hope he's dead. And I just went, okay. And then I left, and I was like, Old, like I didn't care. I was already over it at that time. Oh. He was a visiting priest too from Newfoundland. No, from Newfoundland. Why are Sorry. so many Sorry. priests <laughs> horn dogs? Well, it seems be- like the worst place to be a horn dog. Did you watch Spotlight? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think it's because anything that's like I think inherently a boys' club sets a very dangerous precedent where you're protect. Like when it's something like that for centuries, where it's just men protecting men, protecting men, protecting men for for years and years and years, you are trained to think that that's fine to be complacent mm-hmm. and you we see it all the time in institutions we see it with the police and we see it with um with businesses you see it like all the time but here it's so systemic and it's so ingrained and people are afraid to question it and some people religion is all they have so when they question it they think that that is something that they're do like they're sinning against god but they're not sinning against their spirituality they're just calling out a bullshit institution what anyway are you, are you still religious I'm a spiritual person. I like. I've always been into tarot cards and stuff. I read tarot cards now, and I have like my crystals, and I'm more witchy than I. But I don't go to church or anything. What do you think of the new pope? I think not the young pope. Not the young pope. I think Jude Law is amazing. And I love his <laughs> kangaroo. I like. Did you ever see that video of Jude Law like super hammered in a bar, yeah. like sloppily hitting on a girl? Oh, God. I would be fine with that. I'm not gonna lie. I like Jude <laughs> Law. I feel like. Uh, the new pope is doing good things. He uh-huh. needs to hurry it up with the reconciliation with our First Nations people. And also, he does need to address the years. Like, there's so much more that has to be done. I mean, we have to see, like, let's see gay people getting married. Let's see women having power. Yeah, they need to really, because I read um, a statement from the Baltimore Archdiocese website yes. about the about the documentary. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you after the, you watch a doc, you just go down the rabbit hole. And they, they, they do the thing where they acknowledge that this thing happened and we're sorry about it and da da da. But it's like it's never apologetic enough it's not apologetic at all and i think what's interesting i mean in my case being 15 and having that experience i had already had so much sexual harassment from like thir- like when you're 13 year old girl you start getting harassed constantly like that was nothing like compared to like that's just the norm 
So that's another problem where it's just like, how is a church that's supposed to be sal- like a salvation for people breeding the exact same grounds that like are responsible for like poisoning so many other sects of our society? Mm-hmm. So it raises all these questions. I like how we've turned this into like a giant intellectual conversation <laughs> about systemic sexism. Has it gotten <laughs> better though? Like, do you find you're uh, sexually harassed often now? I feel like I'm constantly sexually harassed on Twitter. Um, and sometimes you'll get random guys sliding into your DM, like DMs on Instagram, and you're like, oh, If he's really hot, though, is it cool? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> it's definitely not. It has to be, it has to be like a mutual, you've got to, right. you know. The bumble. You've uh, got to consent. I don't, I don't Tinder because I don't want to, uh, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. But it's like, uh, yeah, you, there needs to be some consent, or at least some sort of, like, banter before. Don't just slide in and be the weirdo. I don't get catcalled as much, but I think I, um, I don't know, maybe I'm just, too old i don't know okay but. back to the keepers though for a second mm-hmm. so um what should we we recommend everybody to watch the keepers you should watch the keepers um you should be careful you should take breaks and you should drink water and you should take breaths it's a heavy watch yes. it is a heavy watch um who do you think did it i think it was i think the priest orchestrated it 100 percent. i think the person who did it I was a lost. I was a little bit lost on it. Yeah. Brother Bob, I think whoever that was. Yeah. Because there's this figure in the show where who's very violent and very like his own loose cannon, and you're kind of like, you did like you are. This is bad. But then I mean I don't know. It's I think it's one of those things where does it matter? It's almost like who who executed the crime might not be the point. It's like any assassin who's behind the assassination. Yeah, and that was definitely Maskell. Yeah. Oh my god. 100%. Oh, even like looking at his face, I just want to be like I, know. I just want to trap all those women up in blankets and be like, it's okay. We're gonna get you through this. It's gonna listen to one direction. It won't help, but it will help me because I'll have something to break the tension with because I don't like tears or emotions. <laughs> Do you think if the case is solved, those two women are gonna be very disappointed though? Or yes. very happy? Well, they'd be very happy. You think? Why? Because you think they'll have nothing else They're to do? They're just having so much fun, though, like figuring <laughs> oh, it out. Like, it was yeah. a very personal thing for them. <laughs> right. You know, the Sister Kathy I think they kind of like, like working on it. Of course they do. Yeah. But my favorite part about those two women is that they seem to complement each other so well. There's the one who is, like, very sort of conservative and organized and, like, to stay Abby. home, Abby. And then there's Gemma. The bulldog. Who's, but also so charismatic. Just, yeah. like, had a way with words and a way with people that was so comforting mm-hmm. and so charming. Yeah, I felt very relaxed watching them. And I also loved how, like, at one point, Gemma uses, like, a crab cake to try and bribe the police officer. Yeah. She's like, what if I took you out for crab cakes? <laughs> and she told him he looked like Paul Newman. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this one was amazing. That police officer, in my head, I'm like, you are a corrupt motherfucker. Yeah. Like, I could just, you well, know. Well, she led with that. She didn't trust them. So yeah. then you don't trust them. No, the but also yeah. I feel like I almost as a woman don't trust a lot of like men in power who are like I'm sorry it's one of those things where you're inherently to protect yourself you're kind of like um I'll just keep you over here and then like if you were my trust I will bring you closer Mm -hmm. or I will push you out of my way and then I will take your job the one thing (laughs) uh the one portrayal that I didn't like was how they kept on shining spotlight on Jerry because I don't think Jerry did it I don't think Jerry I think Jerry's shady you think he's shady? I think in life he might be a little weird. Why? Well, his story didn't check out. Well, that two thing where I'm like, well, what was going on? I don't think he killed her, but maybe it's like, were you guys in a? I feel like they may have been in a relation, like a proper relation. Who? He and the other Kathy. dude. Kathy. 
He and Kathy? Yeah. Oh, sure they were. But like, I think they were like, for sure. Yeah, but there was like, there's two. Those two sides didn't match up. Where I'm like, someone's lying. Yeah, I feel like anybody who like decides <laughs> to become a priest though is a little weird anyway. I mean, I <laughs> no offense. No offense to the priests <laughs> listening. We have a huge priest contingent that listen to the Michael Much <laughs> the podcast. The guy who told me he had a boner is listening loud and clear. <laughs> yeah. he's, it's the only thing he can hear in his hearing aid yeah. now, and he's like, "Damn it, yeah, I didn't have an influence on her." <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good. It's a good series. I think it also humanizes. Um, I think tri- true crime is a cool, hip thing right now. <laughs> wow, that sounded awesome. <laughs> Jesus. But I think, like, when we forget that victims have, like, their own authenticity, which I can do even watching documentaries, this was that thing where you were just like, oh, no, no, no. They have faces and stories, and you will respect the shit out of them. Yeah, and it's good to remind everybody, and this is, like, uh, an issue that happens like within race relations mm-hmm. or anything. It's like, even though it seems like it happened a while ago or like, oh, this is a thing of the past, it's like, no, it's not really that much in the past. It's like, these are still affecting families today. Yeah, it's like when somebody's like, slavery was a, <laughs> forever ago. It's like, well, it was about two generations. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and uh, the residual effects of that are still very, very present. Yeah. Our last residential school closed in the 90s, yeah. but thank you very much. Um, God, let's see, this is why I like this podcast. One minute we're talking 1D, the next we're like, systemic injustices, <laughs> my favorite kind of topics. It's all because Shane didn't want to do anything. It's true, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> that's it, that's all. That's our episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much to Anne for coming on. Uh, you can uh, find us on Twitter and Instagram at Mike on Much. Please leave a comment and ratings uh, in iTunes. Subscribe to the show. Tell your friends. That really helps the show grow. A huge thank you to Dan Carruthers, as always, Justin Stockman, Greg Stewart for setting up the interviews. And, uh, yeah, what do we got next uh, after this one? Do we want to tease it? We got uh, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Yeah, we're doing that. Yeah, boy. All right. All right.